Kublai Khan is the mightiest man the world has ever seen. Not to pay him homage will cost you your head. Pray then, what am I supposed to do, sir? Pull to open. Pull to open. Yes, and what do you do? They are evil spirits. Sorcerers. Magicians. Why? Because their words are unfamiliar to our ears. Hiding is fab. Fab? What is that, Susan? Well, it's, um, means... Here come the drums! Hello, and welcome to Pull to Open, the ongoing quest to make our way through the Gobi Desert that is the 300 plus stories of the TV show known as Doctor Who. My name is Chris Taylor. And I'm Pete Paschal, and yes, we have been wandering throughout the Doctor's time stream, took a couple of people on the Silk Road to Cathay, That's right. and getting there through various random cities and adventures along the way. Right, and passing think- through some Xanadus of stories and some Xanadonts. <laughs> Occasionally having our plans uh, thwarted by schedules and uh whatnot but uh we we're, we're eventually get stolen there. Yeah, yeah yeah it happens so, sometimes the randomizer gets stolen by a passing caravan yeah uh, but no but, you know chris yeah. And I, we're, yeah we're a couple of writers a couple of journalists we are big fans of the show and we bounce around the entire canon of the tv series uh talking about <laughs> Various episodes, including we one today do. that might include some of the things we just talked about. But yeah, we may we be that, dropping heavy references. Let's take <laughs> a look at where we've been. We were so Time Lord heavy for a long time, and three stories ago, that tradition continued with the Doctor's Wife featuring uh, Time Lords and and very very Tardis heavy uh, kick that the randomizer's been on. Two stories ago, we rocketed forward to a story where the Tardis is stolen. The Saranga conundrum in Jodie Whittaker's era, and uh, that was perhaps a Xanadont. Um, we, <laughs> we then, the randomizer then gave us the war games as our assignment, and we understood the assignment. We understood that it needed some serious time to research. Uh, so we took a couple of short trips, one uh, focusing on the trouble with Gallifrey, and particularly the uh, the Time Lords who were introduced in the War Games, hiving off a little bit of that discussion. We also took a short trip on rage-quitting Doctor Who, uh, which produced some very interesting and spirited discussion on social media. And then it was finally time to do it. We finally tackled the War Games. We made our way through. Pete, I think it was one of our, it was our longest podcast ever. Is that correct? Oh, wow. That's a good question. It's up there. <laughs> it's up there. Uh, it's, it's it's the Viscount banger of length for uh, <laughs> pull to open, but yeah, that was that was a lot. Well, you know, ten episodes, we got it's room to stretch out. We yeah, we really. I mean, good thing we did hive off the time lords. Anyway, after that, we asked for respite, and the randomizer said, "No, no, <laughs> you shall not have respite. You shall have the randomizer said, going Old Testament, uh, a seven episode trip across ancient." Cathay slash China, across the Gobi Desert, across the Silk Road. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, and fellow travelers on the Silk Road, we've made it to Marco Polo. Episode four of all of Doctor Who. Well, Serial Four, Serial Four. Serial Four, sorry. Episode four would be the 
uh, singing no roof of the world roof of the world <laughs> sorry anyway they, we're back in the era where they all had episode titles so right they, they are very never more evocative than they are here uh yeah, it's so, a yeah. story and i think arguably the first pure historical i totally I would say i mean i guess technically like an unearthly child was the first like i mean it's it's prehistory so i don't think it counts right yeah an unearthly child 10 i can never remember it's 10,000 or 100,000 bc but yeah i think it's technically it is a historical but it's so so much of the show is focused on the tardis and the creation of the first tardis team uh that's it's not it's you know there's too much science fiction elements i think it disqualifies on account of being prehistory so this is the first historical episode yeah, the, as yes. opposed to the first prehistorical. You're absolutely right. <laughs> and it is, it's very interesting when you look at where the historicals went. Uh, Doctor Who is about to go three for three in non European history uh, in a couple of right. stories' time when they go yeah, to the Aztecs. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, here we are in China. Here we are with Doctor Who's very first uh, racially sensitive casting, along with a lot of racially insensitive casting. But, you know, the, the first person of color. Uh, yeah. To appear and have a speaking role in Doctor Who is right yeah. here. We're going to we're going to get into all of it in a little yeah. bit, but folks, we're also going to are... get into the hashish. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> we now, I believe, Pete, we have a bingo on Doctor Who stories that mention forms of cannabis. Uh, oh, really? This, this would be it, <laughs> unless you could think of anything else. I think we've got a bingo. I think they met up at 4:20 at some point. Hey. Uh, but... Uh, guys, if you're uh, just here for the commentary on Marco Polo, go ahead and check the show notes right now. And uh, there will be very prominently in those notes a note on the time code on where we begin that commentary with, of course, our signature segment called TLDW, Too Long Didn't Watch, Too Long Doctor Who, where we summarize the episode in record time. Uh, it's right there in the show notes. If you're on YouTube, scroll down. It's right there uh, below the video, the same note. And go ahead and fast forward. But for everybody else, it is time to enter the pull to open feedback loop where we talk about all of the discussion and fun that we're having on social media and other places around the show. Yes, Uh, we talk about the historical that is pull to open. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And historically, guys, reviews have been a great way to support (laughs) your favorite podcast. It's just part of history. It's a thing yeah. that you know. It's it's, it's a fixed point. You can't you can't change reviews. Whatever you know, whatever your political point of view. That's this is a nonpartisan issue. <laughs> Everyone mm-hmm. agrees reviews mm-hmm. are a good way to support your favorite podcast. So if you haven't done that yet, go ahead, guys. Go to the Apple Podcast app. That's a great place to do it. Uh, for whatever app you're in, if there's a reviews feature, please use it. Uh, Spotify listeners, you guys can rate the show at the very least, in your mobile app. Go ahead and give it a star rating. Uh, I don't know, for whatever reason, I'm seeing lots of lights. Oh, wait, there's five lights. There are five hey, lights. They, they could be are. stars. I think they're stars. <laughs> that, for some reason, that just occurred to me. Uh, but that's a great way to do it. Also, uh, for you super fans out there, you know it. You know what we like. We like those Doctor Who episode titles in the form of emojis. Like, why don't you Uh-oh. go ahead, give us one of those. That's all you need to leave. That's all you need to leave. In addition to the story, you need to leave. Yeah, and in in uh, a bonus of that is you get to torture me uh, <laughs> every week. This is you know you, you can press one button to keep torturing the whale, as in Chris, who has to guess the humojis. In something we like to call the humoji challenge, 
And we're going to get right into that right now because we have a couple more from a fan of the show, Dalton1963. He left us these on Twitter, actually, at Open 63 on Twitter. Great place to leave comments and uh, emoji titles. And uh, I'm giving here's here's an I'm giving you one. I'm not giving you any hints on this one, actually. This is okay, going to be ready. so good. Are you ready for the emoji <clears throat> challenge? I'm ready. All right. So here good. we go. Single emoji. Oh, shit. Okay. It is the monkey with the hands in front of its eyes. Oh, is it? Uh, <clears throat> it's, is it blink? It's That could be blinking. It's not blink, but good try. Is it listen? It is not is... listen, but good try. <laughs> uh, oh, God. Don't, uh, can you hear me? Uh, God, Let is, me know if you want that... a hint. Yes, please. You're, you're correct. Your, your instincts are right in that is it a single word title. Oh, why are all single word titles fleeing from my brain right now? Why can I only remember Invasion of the Dinosaurs and the longest possible episode titles? Pyramid at the end of the world. No. Um, gosh. <laughs> uh, I've done Blink. I've done Listen. Uh, I've done... Uh, oh, God. What other single episode, single word titles? Midnight. Uh, we've, but we've done that already. It wouldn't be Midnight again. Gridlock. We've done that already. I, I can only think of... Do you want, uh, want another hint that's going to narrow yes, it down? Yeah. All right, this this might give it away. Yeah, um, please. <laughs> a doctor. Oh God. Um, why are all eleventh doctor names fleeing from my head right now? Oh, this this may not <laughs> this may not uh, so, so narrow it down. Okay, here we go. On. Third hint. Yeah. Yes. If oh, you God, are say an animal, whether it's a monkey or otherwise, yes. and you are uh, shading your eyes by yeah. possibly or burying your head down. What what do you think you're doing as that yeah. animal? Oh, it's it hide. You're hiding. <laughs> oh god, it's that one. I never watch it. It's the one in Nailed the house, it. right? It's the hide. The, the horrible one in the like the mystery house that I Is just it like, horrible though. I don't know. We'll, we'll get to I, it. We'll, we'll get, get to it. it. All I know, that that is my prejudice around Hyde, is that I just hide it in my brain, as you just witnessed. <laughs> because I, like, never choose... I yeah. hate horror. I, I thought that was a bland episode at best, as I remember. Barely watched it the first time. Definitely never watched it the second time. Sorry, sorry fans of Hyde. Sorry, Matt Smith. Sorry, uh, Dalton. Yeah, I'm not uh, sure if that counts as getting you. it after three hints, or just not getting yeah. it. So <laughs> I think that's basically the same. Well, we're going to call yeah. that... Uh, I guess a fail on the emoji channels. It's okay though. So, I get see it. what you can do, listener. If you enjoyed my my angst over the last few minutes, you too can create that in me. I'm offering it. I'm I'm being a sadomasochist here on the show. Uh, go ahead and, and whip me with an episode title that I'm not going to get. Because uh, you know what, with 300 story titles in Doctor Who history, 300 plus, you know, it's a tough challenge for anyone. It's a, it's a it's a hugely tough challenge, and yeah. I sympathize with you every week. I don't secretly, you know, celebrate and you know gleefully <laughs> chuckle to myself afterwards. Oh, as I, I cut the video. I see those sips of champagne off screen. I see. <laughs> so, what we need to do is put these on TikTok so that people can stitch them. <laughs> 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 like, yeah. Hide, 
Hide, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let, let me just help you out there with a little montage sequence. Ah, ah, ah. Okay. Done. Alrighty, guys. We're closing out the Humoji challenge uh, and moving on in the feedback loop to, again, talking to our Spotify listeners. Guys, not only can you rate the show, but as you know, we rate every story of Doctor Who that we talk about on this podcast. You can do that, too. You can immediately, well, or whenever you want, <laughs> go to your Spotify app after we've rated it and uh, essentially give it your own rating. Uh, so that could be either a Dalek, an Ogron, a Viscount Banger, a uh, fixed point in time. All those are explained at the end of the show. Uh, and we will renounce the results on the show, which I'm about really? to do so uh, for now for one of our recent ones. And that is the Saranga Conundrum. So mm. The results are in. And fans appear to be uh, not unanimous, but very clear point of view. It's an Ogron. With almost sixty percent of the vote, but less than you might expect. Twenty nine percent said Professor Hater, yeah. uh, which is uh, it's bad, but at least we learned something. Maybe maybe there are people out there who now have careers in nuclear fusion because of this arrangement. Seven percent said it was a Dalek. Yeah, yeah that, that's higher than I would expect. As well. Those Eve Cicero fangirls. Uh, <laughs> But the hater I could see, I, I was actually, I thought that might have been your rating. Uh, to refresh everyone, we both gave it Ogrons. I would have, I gave it sort of a mm. big, stinky, smelly Ogron, and probably a dumb one at that, uh, because I, I thought it was potentially the worst episode of Doctor Who, because it was yeah. so unmemorable. Strong, strong statement. Yeah. Especially uh, when Hyde exists. I'm sorry. I'm just going to talk down <laughs> Hyde every chance I get now. Uh, but yeah, the 7% saying fixed point in time is interesting. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah. I wonder why. It's very, very curious. I mean, for uh, people are jumping onto Doctor Who all the time, right? And I think that a lot of fixed points in times, fixed points in time happen uh, when we're discussing an episode that is associated with your, your the, the things that got you into the show. So I guess seen... that's, that's Tozen Cole, and he's a fan of the show. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. Um, thanks, Tozen. Um, yeah. Thank you for voting. Please do vote. You know what? Vote before we even do. If you have a strong feeling about Marco Polo now, smash that that button. Whether if you think he's a Viscount banger, uh, and you've you've studied it your entire life, uh, go for it. All right. Also, a good place to leave comments, ratings, reviews, or just conversation is YouTube. Of course, we're at YouTube.com/slash pull to open. Uh, you can see us as well as well as whatever Easter eggs you might might find in our backgrounds, uh, you know, or foregrounds, come to think of it. Uh, so check that out. Uh, subscribe there. Even I, I would recommend you would do it even if you are subscribed to us on, the, on your podcast app because it really does help the show when we have more uh, subscribers on YouTube. Yeah, you know what? I, just just pull up these other apps while you're on the show. Let's not pretend you're not multitasking right now. Come on. <laughs> Add one more task. What's the diff? Fire up another browser window. It's all good. Yeah, you could also you could fire up TikTok if you if you like um, you know Chinese spyware installed on your phone. Um, and we've been. I mean, we, we love it. 
It's fine. It's fine. You don't have to uh, share anything with the TikTokers. That's all right. Just yes. to unclick all the things and, you know, just have the <laughs> app or lurk. Give them fake info on a burner phone. Yes. It's fine. TikTok, totally the, mighty, the mighty pleasure dome of Kublai Khan of, of uh, the socials. Well, How are we doing on that, Pete? Of, of Pull to Open, certainly. So yes. we try to post videos uh, almost every day, and we actually had a great comments lots of great comments on a video that we post over the posted over the past week about yeah. our Gallifrey episode yeah and you were saying we, we had one video on it and it went viral yeah we, it was it was kind of a short trip episode so we don't do as many videos for those so but the one video we did do went super viral um and it basically just was mostly the premise that I went into on that show about I think Gallifrey is better heard about than seen. Uh, it's mm. kind of like the Gallifrey's best era in the pro the show. Uh, <laughs> I think, a lot, in my opinion, a lot of people's opinion is exactly the first part of New Who when it's just yeah. not around, and it's just sort of this yeah. legendary thing that the place that the Doctor's from. Yeah, um, with the with the payoff, right? It really works with the mentions yes. and the payoff over multiple seasons. Yes, I'd agree with you. And the uh, a lot of people tended to agree, and mm -hmm. uh, though there was uh, a few, there were a few comments that I found a bit surprising, and I wouldn't mind touching on. So, mm -hmm. uh, a couple of people, Maddie Lewis and Jay Morrison, left comments, and Maddie says Gallifrey in the End of Time was awesome, mm. and Jay Morrison also said I also enjoyed Gallifrey in End of Time. So there is a. a a non-zero <laughs> amount of people mm -hmm. who really enjoyed that depiction of, of Gallifrey in the end of time. And, yeah. you know, not to read too much into two comments, but I do think uh, some, our TikTok fans surprised us a little bit uh, because you and I are obviously old school fans. There's a whole generation. There's a whole generation of people now who grew up on new who mm. and uh, the reaction in the end of time, I was just a little taken aback by, which I can sort of understand. I can see it. Yeah. I can see it. I can see it for, you know, two words, Timothy Dalton. Yeah. Oh. Uh, how can you perfect not? casting? I mean, I have my issues with the end of time. Lord mm. knows. Time Lord knows. I think most of us do. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> and everyone on the earth turning into the master. Hmm. <clears throat> I'm just going to say that. We'll we'll get to it when we get to it. <laughs> when we get That's... to it, though, expect a good <laughs> one of my trademark rants about the falling through the window at the end. All right. Okay. Or was the skylight. But go on. All right, all right. The randomizer will one day knock four times, and we will make our way there. Um, but yes, I I do love those scenes, even though yeah. I was not a fan of the Doctor's mother appearing with her right. face. In, it was a very striking image, and it was also a very sort of a, a great example of how Doctor Who does well with Time Lords on a cheap set. Mm -hmm. Right, it was very, very limited. Uh, you know, it's like Timothy Dalton, a spotlight and big collars, and what else do you need? You know, you need the let table. The fireworks the table flow. in front of him. The table, <laughs> and, and you table. need a glove. You need his you need massive Thanos-like yeah. glove that he uses to such great effect. Uh, but holy cow, yes, best wrestle on ever. Yeah, uh, you almost kind of want to never see Russell again after that because he just dropped the mic. Um, so I get it. I get you know that that you like that. I, I I like the shenanigans of it almost being pulled out of you know and replacing Earth and, and the Time Lords being super like the most evil thing any Time Lord has ever done probably right in the end of time. Yeah, um, pretty much. Yeah. So no, it's great. Yeah, I dig it. Like I'm with you, you uh, TikTokers. 
I, I would go you, on you and on. I think I would, it, it would the dam would mm. burst, and <laughs> yeah. this would All become right. the end of time episode. But <laughs> I did want to know this, like, um, and it makes me we're look random, forward. but we're not that <laughs> random. Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's it's making me look forward to doing that for the podcast, and I almost yeah. feel like that we're already. It, <laughs> this is our de facto challenge for the randomizer. We've been doing so much Time Lord stuff lately. Why not bring us to the end of time? Yeah. Um, but uh, this, it's. I, I'm just. Now that and we did I, do I the waters of Mars, uh, we yeah. did waters of Mars, and then randomizer does like to do back to backs. So yeah, I think our chances are strong. Anyway, it could be. I just um, I, I think this comment has definitely awakened something in me, and that mm. like, oh yeah, you know, like I, I think a lot of people have sort of mixed opinions on end of time, but now I'm like, I'm actually looking forward to seeing all that time lord stuff again, especially mm. with all the stuff we've talked about and all the context that we've uh seen and inferred from all the stuff we've seen recently so yeah and it would be super relevant to see the end of the last rtd era before the new one begins oh yeah so Mm. all right the challenge is before you randomizer the uber challenge (laughs) not for that not for the next time but for sometime soon Yes. All right. Closing out the feedback loop. Of course, we're on Pull to Open 63 in so many places on Instagram, Facebook, and as I mentioned earlier, Twitter. Go ahead. Drop us a line there. Uh, ask us all about Humoji challenges <laughs> and how legendary they are, or just start one of your own. Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, looking forward it. to that super cut. Thanks, fans. All right, let's let's get to it. Not much news this week. Nothing to discuss in the in the trip. People still stunned sure? from the trailer. Are you, are you uh, sure there's nothing to talk about? We could talk about lots of things. Let's talk about the trailer again. Let's talk no, about... No, no, no. I see what you're doing. Hey, remember we'd had, <laughs> we never really talked about what Sidrat stands for in our work. We can talk all about that. It's, there's multiple things it could stand for, and we could explore nice each and every try. one of them. Nice Let's try, Pete, but the, the Time Lords are closing in on you. You are, you are walking in slow motion now. The Time Lords have slowed down time. It is time to enter the world of TLDW. Too long didn't watch. Too long can't watch in the case of Marco Polo. I don't want to do TLDW. It's so long. It's seven We could also say the TL stands for telesnaps in this case, this completely missing episode. You know what? I'll I'll give you a little reprieve because I think it's important that we set the scene in terms of talking about how we both watched this, how we both watched Marco Polo. Oh, thank God. Okay. (laughs) Yes. So I will say that this was... uh, uh, I did ask the randomizer for something that was easy, if you remember. And I actually right. think the randomizer listened. And it, it gave me something where I could just read the script uh, and look at the amazing set photos that we have, courtesy mm-hmm. of the director, Waris Hussein, uh, you know, a very important figure in Doctor Who history, uh, who, who saved these, these amazing stuff, these gorgeous full-color photos. So I had those. I had the script. I have the knowledge of like what all of their voices sound like in my head, uh, you know, and make up a Marco Polo. There you go. It kind of looks a bit David Tennant-ish in the set photo. So I gave him David, David Tennant voices. Um, and, but you, Pete, you, you stuffed through all of the telesnaps. Is that correct? Yeah. So there are various versions of lost episodes, taking the audio from them and uh, mixing them with telesnaps and whatever, surviving footage there might be and usually those are in daily motion so i went there and there's a number of them and there i started with the black and white there's a bunch of black and white ones but actually at least one person has put together full color versions Ooh. Uh, and i'm not sure how they did it i think it's i think it's mostly using those telesnaps that you mentioned or either mm. i think it's a mix of telesnaps and 
Wars Hussein's yes. uh, photos. I think and, they had an on-set yeah. photographer, I believe, for all except one of the episodes. Right, and so basically, it, it, they were either all colorized or they were the color versions, and it, it was there were surprisingly a lot of them. Like there were like mm. in some cases multiple photos of uh, the same scene, even from different angles. It's, it looked like. And the guy, you know, the people who work on these are actually quite good in that they'll crop the same image to make it look like a, a zoom in or, or close up. And mm. they'll do some panning and scanning here and there. I mean, it's not 100%, but it is it, in places it was almost as if it was uh, motion. It was it was a little okay. more like if you remember the early 2000s, they would do the motion comics, essentially, yeah. for things like Death Comes to Time in real time. It yeah. was a li- it was a little like that. Mm. Yeah. How interesting. I I actually uh think that yeah, it I it sounds like I missed out a little bit just to, I was so focused on the script and then, yeah. you know, as soon as I read the script I I knew we have to go into history corner here, so I, I went full bore on researching. Yeah. Um but yeah, so so you would recommend this over say the I, smugglers? I well, yeah, like for uh, as a visual experience certainly. Mm-hmm. And it might have to do more with the quality uh and the time put in by the person doing it. Um but uh, definitely a better experience than the smugglers. And mm-hmm. I will just say I you know, I'll get into it when we get in the commentary, but I will say just a, an Uber comment, it was such a joy to <sighs> see one of the best Tardis teams in full color and mm-hmm. even though it wasn't uh video per se um i was very appreciative of it i was kind of even sort of taken back a little bit to when i was uh, a kid and seeing these for the first time and liking that team and um sort of some similar feelings of like seeing that camaraderie and i, I just really like wow and it's it's kind of in color and, and this is if there's anything that should have been in color from the black and white era i, I kind of yeah. feel like it's this episode but i'm kind of getting into is- it I yeah. think I now I'm I'm emboldened by this commentary okay. about how we watched it, and I need to get Excellent. through what we need to get through. Excellent. All right, all right. Well, as you know, in uh, this is the game show segment where this week we we're going to torture Pete um, because right. we uh, ask uh, one of us to summarize this time. It's Pete's turn. Uh, the the Doctor Who story that we're talking about in record time, and that record time is thirty seconds per classic series episode. And uh, this is a seven-parter. Mm. Amazingly, it's actually it a breezy, a breezy read if you look through the script. And there's obviously bits like the the sword fighting is kind of uh, you know doesn't take much time, but I'm sure it took some time to watch. But it's not going to take much time to summarize. So you, sir, have the luxury of three minutes and thirty seconds. That is a, a luxurious silk road of an amount of time by by TLDW standards. So you should be good here. But you, you're feeling confident. You're ready to take it on. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, I'm, I'm, feeling, official... I'm feeling okay. No, no, there we go. I, we're done. Let's do it. Let's jump. We're in. ready. We're ready. You close all, right. all your tabs. We're ready yeah, to go. Now I have. All right. The official pull to open summary of Marco Polo in three minutes and thirty seconds begins in three, two, one. So the TARDIS materializes uh, somewhere it's a mountain pl- in the mountains. There's snow um, there. They see a footprint, and but the TARDIS is broken. Something's wrong with it. Now it can't even uh, – there's no heat. There's no water. It can't go anywhere. Um, so they start to look for fuel, and they're captured by uh, Mongols. And they realize quickly they're in the 13th century in uh, essentially Mongolia. And 
they're uh, what they they're captured and they they're brought to the camp and they uh, they actually meet Marco Polo and Marco they've just encountered his caravan and they're going to Cathay and uh, they're captured by this guy Tagana who has uh, he's been an agent of uh, he's basically an, an emissary from this uh, other con they're going to meet Kublai Khan uh, they're going to work out the terms of this peace deal. And basically Marco's fascinated by the TARDIS. He thinks the doctor's a wizard and he thinks it's a magic uh, cabinet or caravan that can actually fly. And he thinks I'm going to offer this to Kublai Khan uh, because Marco is basically essentially his indentured servant. His, his emissary has been uh, committed to, to staying with him. He needs his leave to go back to Venice, which he wants to do. And he thinks the TARDIS is a way to do that. But Tagana, who is working for is secretly working for the other Khan, uh, wants to manipulate things and, and capture the TARDIS for himself uh, and, and his Khan so that um, uh, they'll, they'll get the secrets and essentially use it to, to, to get dominance and win whatever war. So they go all around the Silk Road. They, they, there's a lot of stops in various cities and oases along the way to Ghana. Uh, tries to get rid of their water and kill them that way. That doesn't work. He tries to get bandits to to kill uh, everybody so he can take things. That doesn't work. Uh, the TARDIS crew slowly but surely gets realizes Tagana is the bad guy here and tries to convince Marco he's uh, he's evil Too and missed. working against him. But Marco does not believe them, or uh, although he st- starts to doubt them. So they try to get away in the TARDIS. Um, but Susan, who is befriended, uh, has a deep friendship now because they've been with these people for weeks, uh, with Ping Cho, who is, uh, a, a young woman who's been bequeathed to someone in Kublai Khan's court. Um, she, she, she says good, wants to say goodbye to Ping Cho, but he, she's captured by Tagana. He forces them to stay. Um, and they, then Marco doesn't trust them anymore because they had to st- steal the key from Marco to do that. So, uh, they eventually end up in Peking. The doctor starts, uh, uh, basically meets Kublai Khan. They sort of bond over games of backgammon. Uh, the doctor then, even though the TARDIS has essentially been given to him, the, 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 the doctor wins up, wins, keeps winning and winning and winning. But he basically says, I'm going to give you all my winnings if you just give me the TARDIS back. They play one more game. The Khan wins. Uh, so the tar- <laughs> they don't have the TARDIS again. So, But then Tagana tries to assassinate uh, Kublai Khan. But Marco Polo has finally come around and realized he's the bad guy. He stops him in a big sword fight. Uh, Tagana is defeated. He actually kills himself, impales himself in a sword. And the TARDIS crew uh, basically runs back into the TARDIS uh, the the con lets them go, and uh, Marco sort of. And really time. Yes, I think you you pretty much nailed it there. Uh, I will add that uh, Ping Cho, her her husband, just dies in a very uh, her a betrothed uh, yeah. the seventy five year old just dies in a very Deus Ex Machina kind of way. Right, uh, right, taking right. Quicksilver. Um, yeah, and, but I think that the, the, the race to the end there a- accurately represents how Marco Polo ends, which is it wraps up very quickly. Very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Tagana dies, they run into the TARDIS, uh, the con and seems okay with scene. it. Yeah, and that's it. And it's like, oh, uh, wonder what, I think what, it's wonder also, what was with them. <laughs> and it was like Marco Polo. 
the first thing that jumped out of okay football no yeah. literally the first thing that jumped out you said mongolia it's really china uh yeah the mongols owned china but they were trying to be very chinese at this stage in history not to get into the history corner too quickly right. um but it was very much china known to europeans as Cathay, which was actually just a region of china my bad thinking of anyway no, no it's all all good it's the the geography is pretty confusing here um well, yeah, you could kind of yeah, think, we'll is it the that. Himalayas at the beginning? Because you kind of think it's like, yeah. oh, this is the Yeti uh, or something. It's, so It's part of the Himalayan range. Uh, yeah. it, so it's connected. Uh, gotcha. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Very, very desolate place where Marco Polo actually went to heal from uh, what could have been malaria. Um, so it's actually a healthy place. But that brings me to the other thing that I, I don't think was really mentioned. Is the doctor's kind of ill in this. A lot. a lot yeah and is a grumpy old man and that is actually how he he bonds with the khan in the end yes they end up playing endless games of backgammon but it's really the doctor can't kowtow because of his bad back mm-hmm. to which i say doctor have you ever heard of yoga tai chi maybe <laughs> you know you, you've traveled in hundreds of years in space and time you haven't learned how to loosen that back up come on dude um so yeah, I feel like that's an important plot point that the Doctor is, I mean, he was written out of it for episode two because William Hartnell was actually sick right here in serial four of the show. He he got sick. Uh, yeah, and it's funny you know, that, that he's- Echo of what was to come. In the script, he's ill in the first episode, right? Because he's got altitude mm. sickness and he's just yeah. kind of like, can't do much. And then in episode two, Which he's written out entirely, that, but then yeah. they write it so that he's just indignant or something, that he's just not coming out yeah. uh, of his tent. <laughs> Or his yeah. or whatever. And he really isn't like the, the this is not the Doctor's story until that last episode where it, it's almost like the payoff for, for all of that sickness and, and mm. being out of it and being grumpy at everyone. Uh, but until then it's it's basically the Ian show. Yeah, it is the Ian show. And apparently there was some stuff in the behind the scenes where there were certain things written and I'm not sure exactly which scene this is, but the, mm. he wasn't really too happy about it. And then he is like, it's like one of these classic, you know, actor not being happy agent calls up whoever, whether it's Verity Lambert or Sidney Newman and says, Hey, can mm. let's give our, give my guy some better scenes. And they end up sort of working something out. And then this becomes a uh, hugely Indian show. I feel like this, this particular story um, is very, good for ian and susan and Mm. it's seven episodes so everybody gets fun things to do and the doctor sort of comes alive as a character in the last couple of episodes because honestly before that he doesn't do a lot other than sort of faint be ill uh complain and try to break into the tardis and fix the thing right um Mm. then he has all that sort of cool stuff with kubla khan and um so that works ian obviously and at the same time ian has this great uh sort of friendship and relationship with marco polo that evolves yeah. throughout and there's a lot of back and forth there. And then Susan gets to be, you know, uh, the friend, uh, best friends with Ping Chow and yeah. wear some fun costumes and <laughs> kind of be herself, but also be sort of the modern girl. Uh, yeah. This was Caroline this Ford's, Caroline yeah. Ford's favorite story of, of her brief run as yeah. Susan. So uh, and unfortunately, unfortunately, Barbara is the one that sort of gets yeah. a little bit sidelined. Now, again, seven episodes, she does some stuff and there's the whole thing where she's 
goes to the cave and there's the eyes she, in the wall and I kind of I kind of skipped over a bunch of the little the back and forth in the TLDW. She, she gets captured, but yeah, she gets captured. It's really not worth mentioning Barbara at all in a, in a summary of this because she plays unfortunately such a such a small role. Um, yeah. And there's one point early on where she says, "Oh yes, yeah, so like it's oh it's twelve seventy nine and I felt like we were going to get more uh, of a history lesson from Barbara. Yeah, because as the this is teacher. <laughs> this exactly and this is another thing you wouldn't get from the summary it's a very didactic episode isn't it it's very edu- education it's mm. we learn about condensation um yeah. <laughs> which well i think it's a little stretch to say that marco polo wouldn't understand how condensation works but anyway well you think about where this comes in doctor who's sort of storyline you had an earthly mm-hmm. child an earthly child which yeah. intros the show and we just talked about that previously and mm. sort of how they do some prehistory stuff and you know, kind of sets up what the show is. Then you have the Daleks, which is a surprise hit to everybody. It's like, okay, we're going to have weird alien stuff and it'll be, and then everyone's, whoa, that was huge. But yeah, you know, Dalek mania begins. They had, a, they had a quick break with Edge of Destruction. And then, you know, the mandate at the originally was like, hey, it's sci fi, but it's educational. So clearly, like, they, they wanted to showcase that. And yes. it's like, we're going to have a big historical. We're going to learn all about Marco Polo. And again, at the time, to a European audience, I would think this is you know kind of fascinating stuff. It's like not too many people probably uh, know a ton about uh, yeah. history in, in, in Asian history in that time. And, um, the, you know, just kind of this fascination with, with that culture. Yeah, uh, yeah. And you, you, yeah, yeah. Season one went literally went back and forth between historicals and sci-fi. Like that was that was the uh, the trend at the time. It was definitely a different vision for what Doctor Who could be. And for this one, this was Sidney Newman, who you know is the basically the guy who commissioned a uh, Canadian producer mm-hmm. who commissioned Doctor Who in the first place. Thank you, Canada, and thank you, Canada, also for John Lucarotti, who wrote this story. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a couple yeah. Others. Take, so was... take a bow, Pete, for on behalf of Canada <laughs> and its involvement in Doctor Who. Yeah. So uh, John but, yeah. Karate, he was Canadian too, right? Am I wrong about yes. that? Or no? Like, yeah, well, so he certainly worked for the CBC. Yeah. And he's definitely like, I guess, perhaps master of the historical, at least his reputation, because yeah. he d- did this one and ticks all the boxes. Basically, he establishes the template for the pure historical here. Yeah, and that I think everybody who did pure historicals afterward uh, essentially followed, and um, you know he did the Aztecs, which was also this season. And he yep. also did the massacre or the massacre of Saint yeah. Bartholomew's Eve, which was uh, in season three, yeah, and so he novelized all well. of them too. Yeah, and he really so with this one, he brought a lot of research to bear because he'd written a radio series in Canada, I believe 18 parts. No wonder seven episodes were like falling off a log to him. 18 <laughs> part radio series called the three journeys of Marco Polo, uh, less than a decade earlier. Uh, he was commissioned for this before Dr. Who goes on air. It actually gets greenlit on the 22nd of November, 1963, the day Kennedy is shot the day before Dr. Who goes on air for the first time. Mm. That's when, the official go-ahead for for the serial known as Marco Polo was was made, the official order. Well, interesting, yeah. So I wanted to be sure of that. I'm glad you mentioned that, because as I said earlier, mm. I think once the Daleks is broadcast, you get kind mm. of a, a, a maybe a different... You might start thinking differently about the show. Uh, yeah. Certainly the creators did, of like what works, what doesn't, and what, what they sort of should focus on going forward. Not that mm. they lost the historicals, but... 
pre-Daleks, you're like, okay, we're doing, like you said, we're alternating sci-fi and history. Mm. And, you know, this was, this was done thinking this was, this was going to be, um, the, the, a template of what the show does going forward. And to a large extent it was, um, but it's like, like the idea of like, okay, we're going to put the TARDIS team alongside historical figures and essentially kind of do what they do and build it around politics and world events at the time so that, you know, you Mm -hmm. can explore those as you go and and there you have Barbara as the history teacher to sort of explain every now and then, um, what the context is. Um, yeah. And and Ian Ian is the science teacher to, (laughs) to, to give you a little lesson and what, you know, bamboo, but how bamboo burns and, you know, as I described it there, it's sort of like, Mm. It almost sounds bad. Like this is a kid show and it's yeah. like three, two, one contact or something. And you're just going to like have people <laughs> turning to camera and explaining it. But no, it completely works. It's, mm. it's, it's very, very good. I mean, again, I, Marco Polo. Yeah. It's a bit long, but by keeping it, uh, focused on the characters and kind of what we're doing in particular, Marco and Tagana as sort of these two people with who are, have different motivations, but both are, have, sort of a similar path obviously of the same path because they're both part of the same caravan but it is right um that tension that central tension is is sort of the drama in this episode and everything sort of builds off that uh, including the sort of historical or even pseudo historical stuff and it really i, yeah. I think it really worked i was i was and really surprised how much i like this i will say for people who remember my review of the smugglers <laughs> I, I will say i i was scared going into this watching telesnaps again thinking mm. oh my god i could get through seven it's going to be a chore i'm I'm not going to like it and maybe maybe and i was scared maybe i just don't like telesnap stuff like maybe i'm just i'm, mm. I'm going to be bust but no like i i really thoroughly enjoyed marco polo like i thought from huh. start to finish it was it was really compelling story fantastic I'm, i may have to dip into the telesnaps now well i uh yeah i'm i'm with you i think it's interesting it, it is sad that barbara is out of the action a lot but it is perhaps best that we didn't have the didactic history lesson uh because we it gives more space for marco polo himself who again mm. a thing that i think needs mentioning up top this is narrated by marco polo Mm. and uh, like he's in the back and okay granted it's not very interesting diary entries once especially once i got into uh you know researching marco polo what you know what was written of his journeys at the time uh you know it it doesn't measure up a lot and it's certainly less uh, raunchy and bawdy than than his writings it's just basically in the show the narration is just he's he's reading out directions and then we went to this place on the edge of the Great Cathay Wall, and and you know then we crossed this desert. He's basically just Google Maps, um, <laughs> and it could have those linking narrations could have been a lot more interesting. But it is a very interesting choice, especially this early in the show's evolution, to have the historical figure himself narrate the experience. Yeah, and uh, yeah. we'll talk later about this because I have many ideas of how much. Like this is your, I think you're right. This is a great story. Uh, it's uh, reputation is well deserved. Could you imagine doing it in the modern era? How much better it could be done? How much more big picture it, it could be, and how much you could play with Marco's narration, given that he was sort of a f- famously thought of as a fabulist, right? Mm-hmm. If in in Italy, it might as well be rule number one: Marco Polo lies. 
Like even to this day, <laughs> Italian parents will call their children Marco Polos if they tell tall tales. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. I wonder if that's how the swimming pool game got its <laughs> start. So it's Kelly like Marco Polo, and you're just kind of like, you know, trying to deceive the other person who's, you know, closing their eyes that yeah. where you are. That um, probably makes sense. Yeah. You know, I meant to look that up. I did not, but you, I think you probably got it. Uh, yeah, he was associated unfairly with lying because a lot of his claims got borne out. Like they, they couldn't mainly couldn't believe that there were millions of people in China. Uh, that was mm. his nickname, millions. It was a derogatory one, uh, but of course there were flying there were caravans. Marco, come yeah. on, bro. That's the thing. It could really we could really have played with like this being an alternate version yeah. of Marco Polo's diaries. We actually. Dream Dreams up this thing, like he did. Literally, the real Marco Polo think uh, that he'd encountered unicorns. Uh, they were mm. probably rhinoceroses, but like that's the level of. Uh, this sounds so weird. I'm in this magical land of of his stuff. So, really inspired choice. Really, uh, like the original script had Ian and Barbara and the Doctor narrating, which right. I think would have been terrible, terrible idea. Totally, totally. Yeah, and um, I think I think it. I'm glad they didn't because that would have also maybe tempted them to have them narrate other episodes, you know, yeah. and have that sort of be a format, which I think does start to verge on what I was talking, like you know, the after school mm-hmm. special on history. If if you're kind of doing things like that, yeah. but having Marco it, do it not yeah. only like is it, it's a better choice, but it gives that his perspective on them right mm. is. I think part of what sort of makes this interesting because yes. we know them and we, we like them, but like his whole world, I mean, it just better transports you there, frankly. And it's, and it's, it's so appropriate because yeah. he's trying to figure out, are they moral people? Like yeah. Ian, Ian did, does some, like he discovers a guard that was attacked, but Ian was going to attack him himself. And, you know, he, Ian has to lie about, not finding the key to protect Ping Cho, so that mean he's good or is he bad? Like, there's a lot of you know interesting morals in this in this story, and uh, that Marco has to figure out because he is, you know, the, the he is the power center of the story. Uh, entirely appropriate. I wish that they had inserted uh, somewhere in this. It would have been so much more effective. I think, like, he flashes a, a medallion of Kublai Khan at one point to. Like he's basically, hey, I'm, right. I'm the Kublai Khan cop. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, your Marco Polo history, like he he was the servant, the personal friend and servant of the Emperor Kublai Khan, uh, grandson of Genghis Khan. And but what he did actually travel around with was more amazing than we see in in this story. He actually traveled with this giant gold plate. That where the emperor mm. himself had written these lines about, hey, you know, I will basically chop off your heads if you don't do everything this guy says. Uh, yeah, you'd think it he, was a, he would need that because, you know, yeah. as a white guy sort of going around as the agent of the con, like you'd need yeah. to have to produce some pretty serious evidence that yeah. people should do what they, he says. And uh, he's got <laughs> it. <laughs> yep. And that's sort of the, an example of like how, so first of all, major props to Doctor Who for this early in its evolution trying something like the narration from Marco it's an early example of how you can just try it's it you can change format week from week with with a time travel show and they do so very effectively here and I think the willingness to experiment is super important here and and shows where the show is going um but yeah, it, it also is definitely an example of their ambition exceeding their reach you know they're trying to do a Gobi desert sandstorm yeah. in practically live because the, these shows were put out 
live, yeah, like a week basically. or two. Like yeah, they yeah they were they were filming them. They they probably had not finished filming it yeah. while it started to be broadcast. That that's very common in the early days of Doctor Who, all the way up to the Purge era, I believe. Yeah, so they have to have these janky solutions for how to make a sandstorm. You basically just throw in some TV snow on one monitor and mix it with another, and bl- well, have a wind machine in the studio. And-, and I think they were still in those the the, the early studios for Doctor Who were very tiny. Um, mm. You know, yeah, just, yeah. This was Lime Grove, happen. very very tiny studio. Yeah, and it's so it's interesting that that one thing that jumps out at me about Marco Polo, the story, is that. Uh, other, uh, it's well. First of all, it was one of the most uh, sold stories overseas. Mm-hmm. I think there were like nineteen countries that had copies of this thing that have now all been destroyed. <laughs> yeah. All of them. Yeah. As so far as we know, we may yet discover a missing Marco Polo in an attic. But extraordinary, irony. just a terrible, terrible level of barbarism. Very ironic. It's cruel. Especially ironic, given you know the, the nature of the the stories of Marco Polo himself. You know, related to his well, you don't know, but related to his prison cellmate, uh, we only have copies of copies of that now. Like it's one of the most read books in the world, but we only have copies of copies of it. So you know, and that that, that changes over time. So the fact of this being lost, you know, that the playing with historical narrative here, it gets very meta when you consider how much of this is missing. And uh, yeah, and know, I think, like I said in the pre-show, it's it's really one of the reasons it's so tragic is that this is yeah. one of the some of the best costumes, some of the most mm. colorful, um, exactly set design and and stuff. And ironically, and, that that is so that the animation people have said that's why this is not likely to be animated anytime soon. Uh, which you know you contrast that with that with the smugglers, which we know that's going to be animated. Apparently, we watched the smugglers and we were like, "Eh, really?" <laughs> Whereas <laughs> this would be amazing, but it would take a Disney-like budget, and that's the thing right. that jumped out at me is that Disney actually came calling in the '60s, like after this aired, uh, to see about getting the rights, not to you know a story called Marco Polo, but specifically this story. Hmm. Interesting. Like this was about this time could travelers be... encountering Marco yeah. Polo because yeah. basically they wanted to do the story of Marco Polo and say, well, Doctor Who did that in the '60s and it was really amazing. And they were yeah. like, oh, actually, why, why, why rewrite it? Man, they were they were rebooting even then. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, uh, you know, and, that, and we're now we we're now we're full circle with Doctor Who and Disney Plus. Right? They're actually finally working together so we we'll, we'll don't be... get them to do another version of full circle at least um, <laughs> but, yeah I, I should mention the costume designer was daphne dare yeah. and um she did an amazing job but go ahead and google now guys marco polo yes. hit the image google it hit images and just enjoy um it's it's funny i i remember the keys of marinus growing up because obviously with mm. this missing edge of destruction goes right mm. in the keys of marinus and i was always struck by what they were wearing in episode one of that because it's like they're still in uh, their Marco Polo uh, oh, outfits. Nice and, continuity. Yeah, they, which they did then. And, you mm. know, you, you're kind of like wondering what's going on there. Um, I could be misremembering. I might be thinking about the Crusaders, the Crusade, yeah. uh, Crusaders, Crusades. I forgot which one it is, but they're still wearing those, I think, in the Space Museum too. So there's like, yeah. Um, it was it was very much a serial. There was no none of this modern sense of you know time elapsing between stories. This is what they did well, in the Hot so, You go so straight into the next. Start one. at the start. This one starts mm. with them checking out the footprint, right? And you're kind of mm. a little bit wondering, well, why 
what what happened there and the last few the last minute or so of the edge of destruction has them materializing somewhere and susan runs out because she's young and adventurous and she comes back and she's having fun in the snow and uh but then they then there's the boot right the boot print mm. um, which we never do we ever really get like an answer on that are we meant to think it's a yeti i guess i think we are because <laughs> there's all this about some creature but then i think the implication is that creature was tagana uh, yes so tagana just has very very big shoes yeah i guess <laughs> very big boots and maybe like uh, you know it's not it's not part of the plot at all um so mm. you don't like some yeti in the background peeking out or whatever um and we all know yeah, yeti bit, really bit, all bit are robots in the london underground guys so exactly you know, <laughs> so what would they be doing in the MLS? oh the roof of the world um but this, yeah. this solves a plot. Like right off the bat, there's a couple of plot things I got to pick at. One is that mm. I don't know, understand why Marco believes the TARDIS can fly this caravan mm-hmm. when he's never seen it do that. Yes. He's never seen it do anything. He's also hears about how they can all fit in it. And he's just sort of goes, oh, wow, that must be wizardry. And he, he, he basically believes in the TARDIS's abilities, whatever they are, without ever actually seeing it do anything. Mm. As far as he, he he's seen, it's just a box. Now, the only thing that works here, in my view, is that Tagana's seen it. And we know he's yeah. seen them come in and out of it, so that's part of it. But he must have seen it materialize as well. Otherwise, yes. why, Which would why? make the boot make sense. Yeah. Yes, that, that exactly. would make sense. Yeah, Marco's surprisingly incurious. And uh, yeah, let's, let's get into a little mild nitpicking. Uh, but Marco, actually, he, he gets on our scoreboard. Do you remember, Peter, our companion uh, DMV test? Yep. Uh, he, he gets on the scoreboard because Marco Polo is actually invited into the TARDIS mm-hmm. by the Doctor, uh, but refuses the call to adventure, ironically, it mm. being Marco Polo, the ultimate adventurer. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I didn't quite believe that. I didn't believe that either of them be so curious about the TARDIS. It's it it totally beggars belief that the TARDIS is out of water. Uh, I mean, yeah, maybe in my head canon here, like I'm, I'm, you know, we know that the randomizer is very interested in the swimming pool in the TARDIS. <laughs> maybe this is why the swimming pool was created in the first place. The Doctor's like, I must make a note to myself to have more drinking water on hand. So uh, you've really got to like contort headcanon to really make sense out of this yeah. with respect to later Doctor Who, right? Because one of the things yes. they did a lot in particularly in season one of Doctor Who is the TARDIS was always failing. Uh, yeah. It in fact even had something called a fault locator, which I think they referred to maybe again <laughs> once or twice in season two. And then I think they stopped. Yeah. So, then the fault locator broke. So um. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Which I think is probably maybe they should have, use that line. Sometimes. It's actually a pretty good line. So, yep. but you have essentially the fluid link stuff in the Daleks, um, which wasn't really broken, but Susan believes the doctor when it's, he needs this thing. Um, the radiation meter doesn't really work because it, it does nothing happens until Susan walks away from it. Um, it, it, there, there's a bunch of examples in season one and mm. certainly even, um, later than like in the space museum that like something in the TARDIS doesn't click right. So they don't really materialize until it clicks right. And there's all this stuff. Like basically, this was a—I I hasn't even called it a trope. I guess it was like a, a more of a feature than a bug in the show, which is like, oh, the TARDIS mm. is kind of rickety and doesn't really work half the time, um, which is good, you know. Like, uh, but mm-hmm. it is—it's—it's it's rooted still almost—I wouldn't say too much because they didn't know where they were going in the show. In sort of it being invented by like the implications, like it's—it's it's 
much more of a conventional machine, potentially invented mm. by the doctor, um, which is sort of the, what they went for in the movies. And it's just kind yeah. of breaking down all the time. So this component in Marco Polo, he pulls it out and it's really just some circuit board or whatever. And because that thing has failed, not only is there no heat, there's no water, they can't go anywhere. There's no lights. Like basically this is some essential component of the TARDIS that he, he can only fix if he has a few days time to, to, I don't know. Yeah. They don't even show what he does with it. Right. Like, yeah, I know we, we never even really get confirmation that it's fixed. They just, yeah. Right? They just go back in. Well, he just kind of like, like he just needs time with it. But I'm also like, well, what what's he using? Like, does he have a sonic screwdriver at this point? Is he mm. like what? How is he fixing this essential TARDIS component? Yeah, and, is William Hartnell off screen and like a giant pair of goggles, like hanging underneath the uh, underneath the console, like Matt Smith and the and the Doctor's wife? Like, yeah. you know, no, I I don't really see him doing that, so, especially not with his back. So I suggest to to square the circle of like no water is mm. like that just sort of means there's no running water and mm. i i also think you kind of have to f- believe that this is early enough in the doctor's travels that mm. he hasn't even really fully explored the tardis like yeah he he basically probably only thinks it's just a few rooms or whatever like there, there's not that much of it and um, yeah. maybe he either hadn't educated himself on the vastness of TARDISes, or maybe it's just not normal in Time Lord society to use the vastness inside. It's more of a, a tool mm. you do and use when you need it. Um, so, so I, I don't know, there must be some lag disconnect there. Cause otherwise it really does make no sense. Cause you could just go somewhere presumably in the TARDIS and, and find something. Uh, so here's here's my my head canon post uh, name of the Doctor, which is that William Hartnell's Doctor, the original Doctor, is just so irascible all the time because he's really pissed off that he took the advice of this woman who just happened to be standing outside the Type Forty <laughs> Tardis zone, told her to take this busted one, but it would be much more fun. He's like, "How could I be so stupid?" Like. This circuit seems to connect to literally everything somehow for some reason. This isn't just busted. This is just like everything's wrong. The chameleon circuit is wrong. And I'm just like, I'm not having the fun. I I thought I was going to have had to take my granddaughter along for X reasons. Um, You know, I I really thought I was going to be running away and having fun by myself here. (laughs) So you definitely get a bit of that now, right? Yeah. It's, it ends up it's more trouble than it's worth, and yeah. he's just fixing it all the time. Maybe he invented the fault locator. <laughs> just like you never hear about it because he was just like, yeah. I need something to detect all the problems with this machine. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, it, But it's nice to see the TARDIS as a MacGuffin. Obviously, that's why the randomizer brought us here, just to ask the, answer that question early, uh, because randomizer loves to get TARDISy with it. And, and here the TARDIS is all over the place. The Doctor's very concerned with its location. Uh, and I think this is direct mm-hmm. rebuff of what I was saying in the Sarangat conundrum that like in the classic series, the doctor used to just, you know, uh, abandon the TARDIS and not really care about where it was. And then they just find their way back to it. No, the, the, the location, like right here, right here at the very beginning, the location of the TARDIS is very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps wasn't necessarily so much in the Daleks, but, uh, but here it is. And, and here they're very concerned. And the doctor even gets pissed off when they put it in the stables. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then there's the whole thing of like towards the end when they're going to Peking, mm. they actually it's coming it's following them. 
It's not in the yeah. same caravan, and that's sort of one of the ways Tagana is sort of almost able to get it. And, right, he diverts it. Right. And, uh, you know, right off the bat, you're like, I'm thinking, wait a minute, you can't, hold on, that's that, that's going to go bad. Of course, at this point in the story, um, they've essentially uh, been, I think, taken prisoner. I think Leon's going to go back at one point because they've essentially betrayed Marco for the second time to get the key, mm. and they almost mm-hmm. get away. I think this is the end of episode five, which I think is a good scene because they're mostly concerned with Tagana and his issues with the Oasis and issues with the cave of lies or cave of eyes, lies, whatever it is. Um, cave of eyes, 500 right. eyes. That's it. Cave of 500 eyes. And yeah. there's, there's all this sort of Machiavellian stuff he's doing and plotting and um, they're slowly working against him. But then right at the end of episode five, you're reminded, Oh yeah, the TARDIS, this is still Dr. Who. And they get inside <laughs> and you hear the hum again. And it's such a relief you know, mm. to, to both them and the the viewers, you're like, yes, they're, they're, they're this close to victory. And of course, there's the whole thing. And I, this is why, among all the things in my TLDW, I focused on this, where they almost mm. get away, except because, you know, Susan's friendship with Ping Cho, uh, they have to come back. So I, I really like that moment. That sort of like sort of remind, you know, the, obviously the stakes are very high. Um, yeah. And it, it kind of almost ends then and there. Of course, you know it can't, and then you know without something happening to Ghana or some resolution of this conflict. Um, yeah, you know uh, it, it's interesting from from the the TARDIS perspective. You know, speaking of the time traveliness of this, you know what is conspicuously absent here at the beginning of Doctor Who is any discussion about changing history, or the fear oh, of changing yeah. history. Like that it's really true. wouldn't come in until the Aztecs, right? You know, mm-hmm. can't rewrite history, not one line. Uh, but like they, they don't even discuss it here, which is curious because like this is a very fraught moment for Marco Polo. He's trying to win his um, freedom from from the Khan, which he would eventually do uh, when deliver the, the the story on this uh, that this story was yeah. based on. Let's, is he, let's he get in the corner. <laughs> let's what, get in the did, corner. He was that deal. Was it a Tardis? I don't think it was not a Tardis. No, but he was accompanying a uh, a um, Mongolian princess. Uh, to Persia, I believe, to okay. you know the furthest flung area yeah, of the Khan's empire, and uh, by the time she got there, her her potential husband had died. Um, <laughs> no quicksilver involved. Yeah, no quicksilver involved. And then I believe before before Marco Polo came back, I think I got the timeline right here that the Khan himself died, uh, yeah. so he was just free to go back. And then he, for an encore, he gets involved in a war between Venice and Genoa, um, and uh, you know, and then gets captured by Genoa, and that's when he becomes famous because he's mm. like he's a Venetian nobleman. So they're like, okay, we're going to treat this guy well, and he just like his he has the very good fortune to be imprisoned next to a writer of romances. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> who basically just starts transcribing everything that Margot talks about. Uh, and then and then he just becomes famous. Like v- people come visit him in his quote unquote prison, very white collar prison uh, there basically. And, nice. you know, he just like, you know, becomes this bestseller even in his time mm. uh, with all these fantastical stories of Far Cathay. And so much of what we know is so much comes down from Marco Polo. Right. So, Let's let's talk about the hash. We've the been hash. in history corner. Well, let's get in hashish corner uh, sure, because yeah. that also comes from the writings of Marco Polo. Um, okay, let's get into it. We've got to talk also about the hash hashines. 
Yes. So that that's that's the context in which it is mentioned. Yeah. Is you you probably know it. You know, it's supposedly the the origin of the word assassin. Is well, this, I do this? <laughs> I do from watching Marco Polo. Yeah. <laughs> no, okay. That's, that's that was definitely a today I learned moment when like, <laughs> hash hashines. It is assassins. Yes. It's like oh, that's good to know. Uh, but also entirely false. Oh, and entirely based on fake news from Marco Polo. Dang man! All right. Yep. Now today, today I'm learning more from the Chris's <laughs> history corner. Go. What is? What is the deal with hashish and assassins and whatever else? Okay, so that it was the story is very the story is told in Marco Polo's uh, travels, the the book that was was basically transcribed from from all of his stories. Um, that that this this was the case that there was a sect of assassins and and they gave you know there was this ruler who gave uh, hash to young boys and made them wake up in a garden and imagine they were in heaven. And then he's like. You know, knocks them out again with it, with this substance, and and says, "Oh, hey, you want to go back? You visited heaven. You want to go back there? You work for me now. Uh, mm. You go assassinate so and so and so and so." They oh, became wow. famous when they assassinated a prince of Wales in England. Uh, wow. so that's where okay. really where their legend was burnished. But no, they did not. Uh, it was almost certain that they didn't take. They didn't have hash. It wasn't in the liquid form that that uh, Marco Polo described. That's that's not how people used hashish. It didn't, you know, you couldn't use it to knock people out and then unknock people out. Like it just, the story makes no sense. There is a much easier uh, explanation for the, for the origin of the word assassins, which, which is, I think it was something like hash or hasha was the name of the leader that they were all serving. Okay. Like, of course they were just named hashins. They were named after this dude. So oh, it was nothing to do nothing with, to do with hashish. hash. At all, it was just you know Marco believing a tall tale or creating a tall tale, or just like you know I don't know maybe he was the reefer madness of the <laughs> of the 13th century or 12th century like he was just hey kids don't do hash because you'll end up as assassins. Maybe it was um, like trying to make himself be super cool to whatever young lass he was trying to talk up and like, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a bad boy because I've tried hashish and you know what? I, <laughs> if you try hashish, you're kind of like a violent dude usually. And that's yes. not me. That's not me, baby. But, yep. you know, intriguing uh, her and getting her to think he's a bit of a, you know, I got an edge. Yeah. Guy. Well, you know, it's funny you should bring sex into it because, uh, as I mentioned, the travels of Marco Polo are just stuffed with sex. And he's, he go, talks about how it was uh, a uh, a thing in these Mongol kingdom, kingdoms that you were, if you were invited into someone's home, you the, the female members of that household were, and you were a man, the female members of the household were encouraged to sleep with you. Hmm. And you you would actually give out tokens uh, to to these women to to prove that they were not virgins, which apparently was was much prized. And you know, Kublai Khan himself had like three hundred uh, women imported into <laughs> into his harem every year, basically as his potential concubines. Hey. Only forty made the cut. Um, I, you know, <laughs> I wonder like, what that audition process was. No, actually, I'm not. All right, there were spreadsheets. There were literally spreadsheets on like, wow. does she snore? Does she snore? Was one of the things. It's oh, it's crazy. Okay. 
the deeper I got into the history research of this, I mean, could you right. imagine what what Stephen Moffat would have done with this? <laughs> well, hey, 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 Doctor, he <laughs> Doctor's a family show, but yeah, that's uh, right. It would and, be it would be subtle in a Moffat kind of way. It would you know yeah. there would be lots of jokes with two meanings. Well, I will say there like for for a family show there were um, there's one thing that I would say in this particular serial that I wouldn't say it's surprising because it's pretty mild. Um, you know, they didn't hold back on the violence in Doctor Who, but the bit where Barbara yeah. is, is taken, terrorized in um, the Cave of Eyes and, mm-hmm. you know, they're playing dice to see who's going to kill her. Um, that's pretty yeah. dark, you know, yeah, just, totally. just to hear it talked about. And yes, she's fine. She's rescued at the last minute. Um, but, you know, you sort of shudder to think uh, in a more mature uh, sh- uh, scripted show, like what what sort of terrible horrors might have been, you know, unleashed on her. Um, yeah. So there's that. Um, there's also, I would say, and this this isn't part of it, but it's interesting you bring up, you know, the the idea of like sex and relationships. And I wanted to focus a little bit on like Susan and Ping Cho, and yes. they have this really deep friendship that. Um, clearly manifest they're together you know obviously for weeks and uh they're very fond of each other and they say that in the in the script and that becomes a, a plot point as i described earlier and yeah. it's all you know fine and wholesome and there isn't really a lot of uh hints of it going deeper than that but i would think if this was made today uh particularly mm. with what we've seen in doctor who recently particularly with jody whitaker or rather the 13th doctor and um, Yaz, um, you might go a little further with it and not just hint at, but maybe even uh, make it even more clear. It's, it's deeper than just friendship. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's interesting because Marco Polo is, you know, yes, there is the fact that most of the actors are in the equivalent of yellow face. Yes. There's, you know, there, there are attitudes at the time. There's, there's unfortunate, you know, the doctor talks about, you know, that, that Chinese girl, you know, I don't, don't trust these Chinese. I think he says at one point, but on the whole, Marco Polo is a very, very progressive story. Uh, it really yeah. emphasizes the, uh, the fact that the Mongol empire was actually, you know, multicultural, multi-ethnic, multiple religions. One of the reasons Marco Polo was there was that, you know, his, his uncle, uh, and his father were were supposed to come back and bring a hundred priests with them because the the uh, Khan wanted to incorporate Christianity into his empire as well because it was he already had like all of these other gods, all of these other religions, and that was the Mongol attitude. Hey, the more gods, the merrier. So there's that 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 sort of progressive attitude, and you know the, the big question about like basically the Doctor and his friends are immigrants, right? There's mm-hmm. the, the whole question of like they're strangers. How do we treat them? So that's a big part of it. But also to your point about Susan and Ping Cho. Like it is a central part of the plot, the fact that she is a child bride, that yeah. this is bad, this is bad, and I just love that the part at the start where they Susan and Pinkcher are just getting to know each other, and there's this great little line uh, back and forth that's almost Moffaty, where she said, "I'll just read it uh, verbatim." Um, Susan says, "Is your fiance handsome? Uh, you know the man you're going to marry." Pinkcher, I'd never seen him. Susan, what? Picture of the marriage has been arranged by my family. I know only two things about him. What are they? He is a very important man. That's a good start. And he's 75 years old. Yeah. End of scene. She's flabbergasted. Yeah. End of scene. And I just, I love that. It's it's like, 
like yes it's still a family show they don't it, but they make it very clear this this is a bad thing yeah that ping chose we must save her like that's almost as important as getting the tardis back yeah there's a bit later where i think marco even asks everyone in the tardis team like are you are you opposed to this and mm. there's like yeah <laughs> this is <laughs> that's not good <laughs> yeah. um yeah, it's interesting. I, I I gotta give it to Doctor Who for to sort of um, trying to both sort of have its cake and eat it too. Do the mm. historical with maybe um, I mean not not distance, but trying to be a little teaching about it, but also mm-hmm. giving their characters license to be themselves and be modern. Um, and Susan's, I gotta say, like, this is a great episode for Caroline Ford. I think yep. she not only looks great, she, you know, has that uh, very believable relationship with Ping Cho. Um, mm. she, like, I will say this, yeah. she is the best screamer of the Hartnell era. Like, she <laughs> screams, wow. Like, and you kind of, you know, you need that for this period yeah. of Doctor Who. And because Barbara, she could scream, but no one screams quite as well as, as Caroline Ford. So, wow. So that's that. Uh, that's good. Um, I, I I do like the the fact that they're two teenagers across time, kind of bonding. Yeah. Um, uh, Susan does get a bit weird, though. I have to be said where she talks about she talks about Venus randomly at one point, like she's a Venus hipster. Uh, and Pinkjo says she doesn't know where Venus is. I I I don't. Uh, yeah. You know, surely the TARDIS translation circuits that are translating literally everything here, right. even when the TARDIS is far away, would identify Venus, Venus as the morning star or the evening star. Like, everyone knows Venus. Come on. Um, so yeah. that's a bit of a weird well, I do like, and I like that Susan's a bit alien here, even more yeah. than I think she ends up being late in later scripts. Like, she mentions, she says the word fab at one point. Yeah. Which I like, because it makes her modern, but she's also a little bit clueless modern. So it sort of makes her a little bit alien too, because mm. she says at one point, Oh, it's just a word we use. We use on earth. Or actually, yes, fab, yeah. fab. What is that Susan? Well, it means wonderful. It's a, ver- a verb. verb. That's the other Is it a verb? <laughs> <laughs> we use on earth and we're on earth. She knows we're on earth. I like, mean, what she's, the hell? she's clearly only stood out to her science and his- history teachers. Uh, not, not her <laughs> language arts teacher. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, I think rule number two, Susan lies about language. Um, right. I think we're, we're, we're definitely getting the sense here that she might be an unreliable narrator when it comes to making up the, the term TARDIS. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So you touched on earlier um, a mm. little bit on sort of what is sort of de facto yellow face. And I think mm. you're, you're right. And well, obviously you're right. I mean, this is sort of what just how they did things. But I will say this. I mm. was not as bothered by it here as I might be in, you know, looking at Talons of, say, let's say Talons of Wen Chiang. Yes. Which is a, in a different era and makes racism part of the story in in some yeah. ways good but it is it's a little confused because of the time it was made and there's there's full-on prosthetic like yellow face and talons of wings yeah. whereas yeah. here it's you know most of the characters are are asian and mm-hmm. so there isn't the same sort of opportunity to for the script to fall on top of itself with regard to trying to make some point about racism but done in sort of a more racist time which confuses mm. the whole thing, which I think is what sort of Talon sort of suffers from. Uh, whereas here, they're just characters. And yeah. luckily, most of them, as far as I can tell, aren't caricatures. There is a little bit at the end. I think it's uh, one of the characters that does a over-the-top sort of Asian accent, which is really kind of unfortunate. But that's mm. the only time I was sort of like, 
you know, it, it was like nails on a chalkboard for me. Uh, the rest of the time, like particularly Tagana, who's a great character, yeah. and uh, he's just kind of made to look sort of um, different, you know, and, and mm. he's obviously a white person playing the role, but um, you're kind of, you're just kind of going with it. So, yeah. So in other words, like, I, I think this, this works, uh, given, and, and given, it, given the multicultural the nature. Yeah. Uh, given the ti- constrictions of the time, the habits of the time, but it also given the multicultural nature of the Mongol empire, like it does, you know, it was not out of the ordinary for, for example, to have Marco Polo, a European act as a minister of, of the Khan. Like it, it was definitely, you know, it, it absorbed a lot of different cultures. It had Christian cultures already. It was just the fact that, uh, you know, it had like the Orthodox Christians lived in the Mongol Empire, uh, you know, and, and uh, Persian Christian sects were there. Um, but like nobody had ever heard of like the, the Pope and the people of the Pope. That's why uh, the Khan was so excited to, to meet um, Marco Polo's uh, father and uncle. Um, so yeah, it kind of, you can stretch it a little bit and say, you could see all these, you know, the fact the guy who plays Kublai Khan is, is, is a Czech actor, <laughs> weirdly. Like it's, mm. it's, uh, you know, uh, and it's, it's directed by Waris Hussein. Like it, it's, it is Doctor Who in, in a very sort of multicultural sense, even if they're not quite hitting the, the need to have more Asian actors in this, they did at least get, uh, Zenia Merton, who, uh, by all accounts, would really acquitted herself well in, yeah, uh, yeah. in the acting oh, here, picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of the story lies on her shoulders. Like you, you had to really sympathize with her. How did you like the essentially how the thing turned out with the doctor playing backgammon with Kublai Khan? <laughs> and that, you know what? That seemed very new. Who? Yeah, right, yeah, a little bit. Well, there's that wonderful scene where they're sort of totting up the doctor's winnings so far. And I think it's like the uh, a, a year's uh, income from Burma uh, is one of them. There's right. like several elephant's teeth. It, it's just it's just a wonderful. And then when the doctor loses the final game unexpectedly, I did really like that. Mm-hmm. It's like they're really uh, a reversal that you wouldn't necessarily see in New Who, right? Mm-hmm. That the doctor loses it, and then he just gets a piece of the Khan's currency, uh, paper currency, or actually the currency was more often printed on silk. Um, and I just, I like that, that he's, I could just sort of imagine William Hartnell walking away, looking disappointed with this little piece of silk in his hand. Well, I I, I think you're dead on. Like, I like so many of the choices here. Like the choice of him just losing the last game. And Mm. I like that you just, you don't need to explain it. Like they don't have Mm. to go like, even though it it sort of stretches credulity a little bit that he wins and wins and wins and wins and then loses one. You, Mm. you almost might feel as a, as a writer, do I need to make it so that he cheats or something happens or he gets distracted and, and depict that? No, you don't. He just loses. And that's, you need that for the story. And I, mm. I'm in, invested enough that I'm just going to go with it. Yeah. yeah. So that happens. Um, yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like the fact that the Kublai Khan turns out like it's, it is a bit of a, you know, a surprise that he turns out to be this sympathetic old, old dude who's got gout, which fact, fact check true. Uh, Kublai nice. Khan did have gout. They went to the corner. Um, yeah. <laughs> and got that one. But I, uh, yeah, go yeah. on. I also like that they, they're initially going to Shang Tu. Do you know what Shang Tu is, Pete? I didn't until. No, tell until me what I, Shang Tu is, Chris. Shang Tu is Xanadu. Oh, there you go. In Xanadu, oh, I get all your references Kublai Khan. 
Yes. <laughs> in Xanadu did Kublai Khan a stately pleasure dome decree where Elf the Sacred River ran through caverns measureless to man down to a sunless sea. That is uh, my favorite poem. That looks in, like you memorized the- that. Uh, well, the first bit, <laughs> I, I just knew it. I, I, it's one of my favorite poems in the English language. It's, nice. I think it's a beautiful thing. Famously produced by uh, Samuel Taylor Coleridge in an opium haze. Um, but he was actually reading a book that was replicating an account that goes back to Marco Polo. Mm. Uh, another thing I wouldn't have known. Thank you for the for Sidney Newman and his educational mandate for Doctor Who. I've learned so much this week. Uh-huh. I've learned what Xanadu actually was. I learned that the description of it actually comes from Marco Polo himself. I've learned that it was called Shantu. Uh, yeah, I, I really I, I'm super excited about everything that I learned here. And I remember thinking, like going into this, oh, Kublai Khan's in it. Shame I can't talk about the poem Kublai Khan. Well, it turns out I can. There's a direct connection. Um, so it does talk about, they talk about, they're going to the summer palace in Shantou. Right. And then there's this last minute turn of like, oh, actually the emperor's in Peking. Mm. Now Beijing, of course. Um, which was true. He would he would literally break down the summer palace. It was this giant tent, uh, I think called the cane palace, like because they used bamboo canes to, to stick it up mm. and uh but that like had 400 rooms it was this amazing temporary structure in this pleasure garden in in xanadu or or i think changdu as, as uh, right. uh marco polo calls it it's ruined now it's a, you know, but it's also a unesco site it really existed uh but yeah he would break it down at the end of august and and go back to peking so i i love that they got that detail accurate too Nice. Um, yeah, well, I learned. I learned plenty too. I learned that bamboo <laughs> explodes with yes. a loud bang. You light it up. I also learned how bandits try to get you when you're in yeah. the desert by cutting your water and then waiting yep. till you're weak and then attacking. Smart. Yeah. Um, and that there are work. special riders that can go 300 miles a day. Like that's, that's a right. interesting plot point that they throw in. That's really impressive. Yeah. I hope they stop <laughs> those horses. Stop the drink every now and then. Um, well, they they change horses every three miles, which is an interesting thing. Miles? I don't know. Damn. Yeah, I don't know. They they had this support network quick. of riders. I'm not sure how it worked, but okay. Like yeah, oh, that's cool. You know, the Silk Road was definitely not one road. It was a vast network, and there were these oases and camps and temporary structures, and there was a lot of trading and horses all over the place. And yeah, really really interesting time for Doctor Who to visit. And again, really just wish they'd, you know, my one note on Marco Polo is like, don't do it in 1964. <laughs> <laughs> do it in 2024. Yeah. When, when we've got the budget. Let's do it. Hey, Disney Plus. Yeah, call there us. Is. Yeah, <laughs> I, I really like the end. Again, I think I said earlier, like it lets Hartnell come alive. It lets him sort of take command. I'm glad you brought up New Who because I think there are a couple of things that really are echoed in new who particularly with matt smith mm-hmm. i mean there's the the bit i think at the end of what is it the end of episode one where he's just laughing that he has no idea what he's going to do yes. um that echoes the doctor's wife to me like yeah. you know there's the bit where matt smith's like i really have no idea what i'm gonna do and he's kind of laughs, laughs that's a new feeling well it's not <laughs> that new uh doctor <laughs> if you think back to this one Yes, um, rule number one: the doctor forgets every other time that he didn't know what to do. Yeah, and the, like you say, <laughs> all that stuff when um, almost losing, um, or he does lose to Kublai Khan eventually. But I just mm, like that mm. the structure of it that is the doctor as the 
sort of at least intellectual power center of the group. And mm. then sort of the essentially in, in a lot of ways, the most powerful person on, uh, you know, among our leads, uh, yes. of course, is the person to go sort of mano a mano with the uh, emperor again, who isn't a bad guy at all. Yeah, um, it's perfect because he is sort of the sclerotic emperor of the TARDIS himself. Yeah, like that's that's he is in a Kublai Khan role in his own kingdom, uh, and and he has captured these uh, captured these teachers. You know, <laughs> let us not let us not forget they they are kind of hostages themselves at this stage. They're they're a bit Marco right. Polo ish yeah. uh, in their indentedness to the Doctor. But I think um, again, this is it's surprisingly like I guess they're figuring out what Doctor Who is still at this point. So why there's mm. there's so much experimenting? But if you think about it, the lead in this story is Marco, right? Like, yeah. like it's there's nobody like I mean Ian's the only one that sort of comes close uh, because of his relationship with him. But like the Doctor's, you know, he he, he his pieces out of Episode Two yeah. uh, is pretty ineffective throughout until the end. And this is, you know, it's really Marco Polo's story. I mean, it's very apt that that's the name, that's the thing they're mm. exploring, and that he's the narrator. I mean, he, he is the yeah, lead of this episode of uh, Doctor Who. That's the other reason why I say do this in 2024, not 1964. You know, come on, Doctor Who, you can erase your own past and write over it and give us an actual version of uh, Marco Polo that is uh, existing, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> is, is, is safe and saved, or maybe just remake it. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Maybe ask AI to animate it, uh, but but it, the, the fact that it's you can play so much with that narration, and you would mm. so much play with it so much more today. Uh, the the meta textual nature of it, really, the fact that we still don't know a lot of truth from fiction in Marco's uh, story today, as it was recounted, it went through so many filters, and he was trying to kind of impress. A lot of people, and there are verifiable lies in it, but also veri- a lot of verifiable truths. So, if we'd played with this sort of sense of like Marco himself saying, "I, I, I don't know what's real anymore." By the way, uh-huh. echoing, uh-huh. echoing what what uh, the Fourteenth Doctor says, right, in the the first teaser trailer. Uh, I don't know who I am. Like that that sense of like unreality. What is real? What is true? What is not? Is the Doctor lying? Well, yeah. And and what does rule number one actually mean? You know, <laughs> I don't think we've ever fully explored the implications of what the Doctor lies means. Like, has he met half the historical figures that he talks about? <laughs> um, he says in this serial that he's never met Genghis Khan, uh, but then that's mm. like contradicted, I think, in some audio or comic book or or story later uh so it's like well the master always, the master claims yeah. he was him but that's clearly a lie in <laughs> the movie so um yeah i can't remember if there's other i'm sure there are other genghis khan references in yeah. somewhere but um, but there's so much that we can't know as fact about Marco Polo's adventures, even though it's like the fact that Marco mm-hmm. Polo didn't actually write in this sort of clean narration style that we get in this in this story. He actually he would conflate a lot of stuff. He'd he he would talk about a city when he's going there once, but he'd actually gone there twice. Like he just doesn't. He's madding, maddeningly non chronological, and one might say yeah. he's a randomizer. It's a definitely a choice in this case. So in this particular version of Marco Polo, he's very thoughtful. Um, I think Mark Eden's quite good because it, it, it again, it might not be as historically accurate. And to your point, there's mm-hmm. an opportunity here to either remake this or revisit it with maybe a more fabulous version of of Marco yeah. Polo. But yeah. 
given the choices playing made, with that sense yeah yeah mm-hmm. i think he's good he's he's kind of like he's basically this steady leader who has people on both sides trying to pull him right there's like tagana don't trust them they're mm-hmm. bad they're wizards blah 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 i'm really working against you secretly and then everyone else who's the, the tardis team who's basically saying like hey this this other dude's bad no go with us mm-hmm. and he, he's always choosing the middle path right he's he's a, yeah. he's a political operator um you know so that you know and that's very realistic like i like the point yeah. it's smart writing where the girls come to him with essentially eyewitness testimony like tagana's bad and he here's the here's the proof he knew this place and he said he didn't and he's like mm-hmm. that's that's it that's your evidence come on mm-hmm. like what are you talking about no 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 that's not how this works ladies and no it's right it isn't how it works yeah. It, it, you need more evidence. Yeah. I mean, it's continuing our Gallifrey Law and Order theme uh, from from uh, the War Games. Uh, yeah, you know, you, you do. This is almost a procedural, yeah. right? You do need to come back to the police chief with better evidence and, uh, you know, uh, tell a straight story about how you found the key and where you found it. You know, Marco's cross-examining Ian a lot. Yeah, and he's always uh, he's basically the the central tension between the Tagana and the Tardis team. He's he's the one navigating it throughout, mm-hmm. and um, keeping us you know going one side or the other. Like every now and then, you think yeah. he's going to go further with the Tardis team, and finally, you know, point at Tagana, get rid of him, etc. But no, mm-hmm. something happens. There's a betrayal, and he's no dummy. Like it's very yeah. believable the way he does it throughout. Like when he has the key. And, uh, oh no, he, he challenges Ian on where did you get the key? And Ian is like, well, I took it, but I, he doesn't basically he's trying to protect the girls and he's, you know, Marco's no dummy. I know you did it, dude. Mm-hmm. And now you're lying to me. And now I'm, you're supposed, I'm supposed to go with what you say. Like, right. it's not how it's going to go. Yeah, um, how can I trust you stranger? Which yeah. is such a theme of Marco Polo's own life. Uh, which is wonderful. I will say it's not really a nitpick, but it is like when Ian goes to him with the truth, truth, and it's like, Mm -hmm. we're time travelers. We're from the future. And Marco obviously disbelieves him. But if you really want to convince him, dude, you're a science teacher. There's a host of things you could show, you know, with just simple sort of science experiments that, you know, because you are from the 20th century. Yeah. he would he would be convinced or even more inclined to believe it at least, but he kind of just sort of shrugs. <laughs> and all we've like, got is condensation yeah. <laughs> and bamboo. Yeah. Like I, a I circuit yeah. or something, like or whatever, or, or show uh, you know, uh boils I don't know, like Oh yeah, so out. so he does he does point out that water boils at lower temperatures and higher altitudes. Do I have that right? Or is it higher temperatures and higher altitudes? I can never remember. It's lower That's, because the pressure yes. is very low and so it, it boils at a lower temperature, yeah. Which is interesting because that's something uh, Marco brings up and marvels at in his uh, in the the book of his adventures. Mm. Uh, that that water does boil very quickly when he's up there on the roof of the world. So you can sort of see how the the writer thought, oh well, I'll just have a science teacher sitting next to him at the fire explaining how this can be. Um, but yeah, if you're going to do that, commit to the bit and really use your you know, have it be check off science teacher. You know, it has to go off in the last scene. There has to be some big payoff where he does something Walter White-ish, you know, some sort of great chemistry experiment uh, to blow stuff up. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it definitely, definitely a lost opportunity there for more education, which I think this is, it was so well handled. I wanted more. 
Well, um, maybe I will say yeah. I will say, Pete. Before, before we, I know we're I, we're heading into the territory you know of the four questions. I, I know what you were going to do, but I will say, from reading the script, it seems that it seems a little obvious that Tagana is is like the bad dude. Like uh, Marco Polo just comes off as as an idiot and a patsy. So, so tell me from from actually listening to it, uh, does, is Tagana kind of like has he got that sort of silky smooth charisma where you're like, oh, I can believe that people would just believe this dude. I think there's no, it's, it's more that he's intimidating. Mm. I, I think because he is in this position of his, he is very resolute about what he believes and what consequences will befall anyone who doesn't sort of go with his version of things. Mm, um, so he's a bit uh, general Smythe-ish then. Yeah. So I, again, I think Marco is is a political operator. He he's mm. not fully trusting Tagana, but he also he he. It's not that he's full on intimidated by him and is scared what he's going to do to him if he calls him out. It's he's he's scared of the situation of Tagana's the bad guy and then what the implications of that are. Mm. And he would rather see the world through these rose colored glasses where you know he's going to give tagana every chance to to right. just because that if if he commits fully to that tagana's the bad dude that's bad on so many levels um, yeah yeah he'd have to extricate himself yeah. very carefully and and basically situation. i feel in tagana's performance and i think the guy's name is it something nesbit jordan nesbit or something like that i forgot what it was he's uh, good. Uh, yeah, really yeah. Good. Dar- darren, darren nesbit. Nesbit. Darren nesbit yeah um he that's what he seems to emphasize with his every line like are you are you really gonna call me out on this because you know what happens mm. if that if you do mm. and he plays a yeah. gestapo officer and where eagles dare oh, there uh, he's kind of well known as being a villain and also uh has played a drag queen in 2018 oh wow um, look at that and is still still alive at the age of 87 oh awesome cool let's, <laughs> let's call him up yeah, we we could have had him on for this. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Tagana. <laughs> sorry, Darren Nesbitt. All right, is it time? It's time to take a little detour on this Silk Road and encounter on the path the four questions to Doomsday. Doomsday, of course, a small Chinese town on the edge of the Mongol Empire. Oh wow! No, sorry. <laughs> Four questions. Well, on it's the not Silk Road Doomsday. No. Dooms the possessive. Less said about that, but the better, I think. Yes. Um, yeah. The first question, of course. Why did the randomizer take us here? Well, the randomizer is a cheeky chappy. Uh, we we gendered the randomizer's female last week, so I'm going to call him, uh, him male this week, uh, just uh, for for randomness' sake. Um, and uh, when you said, Pete, last week that you wanted no more war, hmm. uh, we'd had too much war with the war games. What does the randomizer do? It gives us a literal warlord from the <laughs> warlord of the war games to warlord Tagana in Marco Polo. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah, there it is. And in <laughs> this the one, they, they prevent a war. Yes. Seemingly. So no wars. Lots of violence. Yes. No wars. But I also, I like the easy lift that it was from a, uh, just reading the script perspective. I like that I could do that. Uh, but also that it sent me down these wonderful rabbit holes. I really appreciate your randomizer for that. Um, they're, they're, I did sort of think of a Saranga conundrum connection, uh, but, a but connection. just don't, a, a Saranga connection. 
which might have been a better title. Um, well, just a kind of a connection to to the Jody era in general, which is like her historicals were kind of like they they veered back in this direction, right? Yeah, uh, and uh, showcase more educational more. for sure. Yeah, yeah, and they showcase these same values of of multiculturalism um, that that is uh, that exists around the edges, admittedly, but it's definitely there uh, in Marco Polo, which is basically a story of how do we treat strangers and immigrants. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my yeah. connection was on one of your observations in the War Games, which is that mm. is a stellar TARDIS team. The Zoe, yeah. Jamie, and Troughton. Mm. Uh, one of the best ever. I, I would say certainly the best of the Troughton era. And I, I uh, alluded to this earlier, experiencing Marco Polo was so pleasing mm. on a level because I love this TARDIS team. I love the originals. Mm. I love Ian, Barber, and Susan. Mm. I think they work really, really well. It, it mm-hmm. Honestly, like I when I go back to watch episodes with them, it really doesn't feel like a crowded TARDIS in the same way that Jody's TARDIS does, I think. And right. obviously the episodes have more room to stretch out, and that's probably a big reason why. But uh, I, I think this is the best TARDIS team of the Hartnell era, and it's yeah. interesting to bookend this black and white era of Doctor Who with the war games and one of these very, very early episodes with the two, in my view, greatest TARDIS teams mm. of each of those doctors. Um, so that was my, I, my I, I really think that, so you did actually mention an unearthly child last week as somewhere the randomizer <laughs> might true. go. I think the randomizer may have been trying to get close. It may have also been trying to get to edge of destruction. Very, very TARDIS centric. Mm. Um, uh, and just sort of just missed. <laughs> uh, but well, they, yeah, it, I think it always right. takes us to where we need to go, Chris. That is true. That is true. But I think you're right about the TARDIS team of this era that it was generally aiming for. Um, I, I think the dynamic is super interesting because you've got two Earth people and two Gallifreyans. You've got two people who know the TARDIS inside out, two people who know their stuff, their history mm-hmm. and their science inside out. There's kind of a natural divide between them, but also there's a divide of like, you know, uh, Susan is much closer to her teachers than the doctor is. And it's, it's a very interesting dynamic. And invariably one of them sort of has a, a weaker story than the other. So it's really to your point last week about how great a TARDIS team is when you have two other people in it. Mm, yeah, that's true. It's, it's kind of what we have de facto with, with these, with these four, like yeah. invariably one of them is sitting out for whatever reason. Right. Often it's Hartnell. Yeah. Um, but the, yeah, three does seem to be the magic number for, you know, people in the TARDIS, people on mm-hmm. an adventure. I was thinking about that when re-listening to the War Games podcast and also thinking about how great Rory and Amy were, to my mind. That was perhaps the greatest TARDIS team of the modern era. Yeah. Um, when, when, the, when you had that, because there was such opportunity to play off each other. Even some of the better Capaldi episodes with Bill and Nardle, I'm trying trying to think mm. of. Yeah, like when you have three in the TARDIS, use it. And you know, sometimes um, that the single companion works just because you're trying to do more. Like I knew who you have less time to do things, and yeah. you, you you know you couldn't. I don't know if you would have as good an episode of say something. I'm just picking. Uh, Vincent and the Doctor, for example, uh, yeah, if there were right. two, right? So sometimes that that room for the story to stretch out is really needed. But if you have two, mm-hmm. 
you just have more to work with. And particularly uh, when they have contrasting personalities and, and things to do. And maybe there's even some real conflict there, mm. um, which I think they played they, up a little bit can... with Rose and Mickey, just to finish the thought, yeah. because obviously there was like relationship tension yeah. there. So that was really cool. Mm. Yeah, short, they played as short lived with... as that was, it was only like a few <laughs> episodes. And as short lived as Rose and Adam was, right? That that was also yeah. playing with the tension there. Um, but yeah, the fact that it it sort of gives everyone has someone to latch onto the way that Ian has mm-hmm. Marco Polo to latch onto. The Doctor eventually latches onto the Emperor Susan, obviously with Ping Chow. Um, Barbara, sort of, yeah. you know, in antagonistically latches on to uh, to Tigana as in terms of being a uh, ki- being kidnapped. Um, yeah. by well, the luckily, yeah. Jacqueline Hill had a lot more to do in the Aztecs, and yes. so she Famously she so. definitely yeah. um, got her share of mm. of stuff eventually in these historicals. As uh, she wasn't served super well here, right? Um, okay. Moving on to the next question. This is only we're only we're only at the second question. That's right. What, so much to talk about. And the, the second question is: What if the evil plot had succeeded? All right. So obviously, the evil plot is Tigana's, unless it's Marco Polo's. Okay. I mean, let, let's not forget <laughs> Marco. Marco steals the TARDIS first. Oh, yeah, he does. That's true. That's true. Mm. He steals it first. Yeah. So which one do you he want to do? He steals it because he's trying to buy his freedom. I think we can do them both. And I think you can, uh, you know, say that it would kind of be the same result in, in both cases, which is that a Mongol warlord, whether whether it be the the ruler of China, Kublai Khan, or the, you know, Tagana's warlord, uh, you know, Khan to the north, uh, whose name I forget. Uh, but Nugai, they, I think. Yeah, there we go. Uh, new guy. New guy. Hey, it's the, the new, new guy. guy. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Which is what we will all be saying when the Mongol uh, Khan, known as New Guy, uh, takes over the TARDIS and rules all of history with it. Hey, it's the new guy. Bow down, kowtow, quickly, quickly. Um, yeah, I, I, because I think that you could, you could posit uh, the idea that you know the, these courts of the Khans in this age were advanced enough. Mm-hmm. And like, they really were, you know, some of the most uh, powerful and, and enlightened and civilized and cosmopolitan places in the world. And it was the largest contiguous land empire in history. It, you know, beat the Roman empire and, and in many ways was more civilized mm-hmm. than the Romans, but also had that Roman value of like, let's bring on all the gods, more the merrier. Um, so, it's not beyond the the bounds of belief to say if they got their hands on the TARDIS, and presuming they also have the key, and can get in and can start to deduce things from it. I don't know. Does the TARDIS become like the Rosetta Stone of time travel, hmm. and uh, we have time traveling Mongol lords. I mean, holy cow, RTD! If you're looking for a spinoff to throw those Disney Plus billions into, um, this this might be it. Time traveling Mongol warlords, time traveling Khans. Hmm. You know, get get the Dothraki and Atardis. Imagine the possibilities. Well, that's huge. That's way yeah. bigger stakes than just history changing. Because that's <laughs> right? kind of like I was thinking it would be. If Tagana's plot succeeds, Kublai Khan's assassinated, and oh then yeah, that, that part. <laughs> new guys uh, army comes in and they sort of take over. I don't know. I mm. uh, presumably then history changes and there's a 
of yeah, more violent my research, <laughs> my research ran out after Kubla Khan, so I'm not sure what happens next. Uh, it's, but, but, you know, there, there were definitely periods of uh, uprising and revolt and yeah, well, ultimately, and Khans weren't always in charge. Yeah, and obviously the empire that you talked about eventually, mm. you know, fell and we, mm. I, I don't know if a lot changes uh, yeah. because, you know, the history is so long ago and th- th- lots of things... Mm. You know, the empire would collapse yes. regardless. There would be uh, East Asian history experts. Please write in, leave a comment below. Yeah. But if Kublai Khan dies earlier, essentially, and this more violent faction has control over China, does mm. does that have a a bigger a, a negative impact on, say, Asian history or Chinese history? Mm. Probably, mm-hmm. I, I would think it would. Um, but then, then you kind of in a Doctor Who context, well wait a minute, can history like that change? I think New Who and most of Doctor Who since this is, see, this period of Doctor Who has said, yes, it can. Whereas just two episodes later, or two stories later, they were saying, no, it can't, right? Like basically Barbara, mm-hmm. the whole thing about the Aztecs uh, is that, you know, spoiler alert, Barbara wants to change history and make them more civilized. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of doesn't work because uh, now, did, but that said, is it is there a literal law of time, like a physical law of time that says you can't do it? Subsequent, mm. uh, Doctor Who would say no. Um, yeah. That it's more like it's inadvisable to change history. And mm. the would would then uh, time sort of fix itself if if history was changing in the same way that sort of it worked against the Doctor, uh, presumably in Waters of Mars, right? Like it was changing this mm. fixed point in time and then yeah. time itself was sort of working against him. At least that's what sort of he was saying. I mean, he might've been being figurative, um, but the, well, that, would that we, happen here? I don't know. Well, would that happen here? I think what we have to consider coming so soon after the war games is that the time Lords would eventually catch up with this type 40 TARDIS of theirs. Uh, mm. And you would, you know, before the the Mongols got too far in using it to rule all of time and space, uh, they would uh, possibly, uh, you know, freeze the whole situation. Maybe put the Mongols in a time loop. Maybe uh-huh. put Earth in a time loop. Oh wow! Uh, yeah. So we we get banished and nixed, and and the Doctor doesn't have anywhere to play. Uh, you know, they, they pick him up and they pick Susan up and yep. maybe Susan goes on trial and we find out that she was this, I don't know, uh, great master criminal mastermind who, <laughs> you know, her grandfather was just the front for the operation. Secret life of Susan Foreman. Damn. Yeah, like that's that. right. Yeah. I like, she was I like she all was... your high stakes stories that are resulting <laughs> in this. I'm like, does history changing? Who cares, man? Time. <laughs> RTG, call me. All right. More questions, more questions. We have to get to the third question, which is, of course, where is the Clara Splinter? What's she doing? Where is she? She's lots of opportunities she here. She's yeah, oh, wait, one, you're not going to read out the boilerplate about how she was splintered in time after the name of the Doctor and is featured in all of the Doctor's stories and we use her to solve plot holes. You I just, think I just did you it. You just did it. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> All right. Well, I just said that. So now you've got to say what, where you think Clara was. Well, I, my initial thing is like she's trying on those boots in the Himalayas, like big boots. <laughs> she's got her Timberlands. She's walking around. She's got her big fur coat. Uh, but that's mm. not really necessary because, as we said earlier, Tagana is 
probably the guy who's walking around and that's why he saw the TARDIS materialize. He saw them come out of it. So that sets, sets the whole thing in motion. Um, my thought is she is the worst backgammon coach ever. <laughs> and basically she was the person in Peking who trained Kublai Khan on the game so that yeah. he would just lose and lose and lose and lose to the doctor. But of course she gave him some secret weapon to pull out. Uh, so she's mm-hmm. either the, the worst or the best, right? She's like lull them into this sense of security and then pull out this killer move that will always win. So the, that's a possibility too. She's actually really the best backgammon yes. coach ever, but one or the other. She's basically had a big influence on that final game. I love it. I love it. Um, similar idea, uh, but the, the biggest uh, deus ex machina or Clara ex machina in the story is the fact that Ping Cho's husband just dies because he's ingested Quicksilver. Mm. Now, that gives an opportunity for there to be a character just off screen who's an apothecary who is recommending this Quicksilver remedy to the 75-year-old man, perhaps oh. with a lot of winks and nods about how he needs to perform well on his wedding night. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, better take this potion. I call oh it God. Viagra. <laughs> 13th century <laughs> Viagra. That's so funny. I mean, you know that there were like you know aphrodisiacs of a really? very very long history, right? Um, so I can totally believe that she's the one like killing off uh, Ping Cho's husband to be uh, because the TARDIS team are so inept they can't do it themselves. Uh, so she has to take care of the seventy-five-year-old dude. That's it. There it is. Yeah. Boom. Either that, or she's still in her Time Lord guise, and she actually hung out within the Type 40, and she's actually fixing it in the background. <laughs> and she's like, you know, she's going through a lot of problems, but, you know, if the Doctor would just stop taking them to different places and pulling components out, and, you know, she could she'd get this thing properly fixed. She's yet to install the swimming pool. <laughs> or she just broke the thing at the outset. Uh, <laughs> yeah she's going around the TARDIS breaking everything which would also explain edge of destruction oh there you go yeah it's her she's a, she's a TARDIS troublemaker yep I'm into that <laughs> all right it is uh, time yeah. for the fourth question the last question the only question that matters for Marco Polo what did we think of this episode the pull to open rating system of course has five ratings there's the Dalek, which is what we give to a good episode of Doctor Who. The Ogron, which we give to a not-so-good episode of Doctor Who. The Professor Hater, which we give to a not-so-great episode, but, you know, at least they tried something, at least we learned something. Hmm. The Viscount Banger, which we reserve for the best of the best. And the rarely used Fixed Point in Time, which is a rating we give to stories that are essentially unrateable, often for reasons hmm. of nostalgia, but sometimes for other reasons. Uh, Pete, do you want to go first? Because I think mine might be a bit of a surprise. Sure. I'm calling this one a Dalek, as you could tell. As I said at the outset, I think it's a very enjoyable episode. It sets the template for historicals in Doctor Who. After this, Mm. you sort of see uh, several adventures where they go into a time in history and get involved with either historical figures or pseudo-historical figures. And... It's done in an educational way and a dramatic way at the same time. Uh, And Mm. often it really, really works. Um, The last historical we did was The Smugglers, which is probably the one that they they kind of fell out of that formula the most, I would say, like in that it's more of kind of a random tale set in a certain period. 
uh, as opposed to like very clear historical figures you want to explore. Uh, and I, I think it sort of shows why the smugglers doesn't work as well as Marco Polo and other adventures like it. I think this is, mm. this is kind of the way to do it though. Um, but very solid, good story, strong characters. It's a shame it's missing, but those telesnaps, they sure look fab. They do. Uh, and yeah, so it's a Dalek, I imagine, in sort of like uh, 13th century, uh, you know, Chinese uh, god. Yeah, it's got, it's got a nice uh, blue tunic on that Dalek with some <laughs> some Asian lettering. Yeah, it's all good. Yes, love it. Love it. I'm actually going to give this uh, the rarely used fixed point in time. <gasps> and uh, the, the reason being, so I think there are problems with it. We didn't get into, but, you know, we sort of touched on, on a lot of them. I think that the... You know the the casting, even though you know it's what they did at the time, it's a, it's an issue. I think that it it shouldn't have been seven episodes. Mm-hmm. I think it easily have been condensed. I believe there is a, a telesnap version where they condense it down to thirty minutes. Uh, oh wow, sort of thirty minutes! Kind of summarize it. Yeah, yeah I, it's like so not a lot it, longer than my TLDW. Yeah, so it had issues, and you know, reading the script like this, it, it does come across as a bit basic as a story, and it does work. And also, you know, like researching Marco Polo and thinking about what else could have been done. Hmm. Like, I'm inclined to be more critical of it, but I can't be because you you just can't you can't hate on this. I don't think it's a professor hater. I don't think it's quite a Dalek. Uh, I, I'm I'm tempted wow. to you know if if it were to fall between anything or being between fixed point and time dialing. But I think just because it's, it's starting the whole ball rolling, like it, you can't like doctor who gets a gimme on this. Like it, it just, you know, you get to call a mulligan on your first historical, uh, and one that just sets the tone, sets the template in so many things and has, has odd choices in other areas. I think it just, yeah, you just got to say, this is, this is fixed point in time. And also, I just don't think we can judge it because we can't see it. We literally, you know, yes, telesnaps yeah. give us a good idea. But as one of the only three serials in Doctor Who history for which there's not one single scene surviving, mm-hmm. uh, I think that might make it unjudgeable as well. But combine that with the fact that it is so early and they don't really know what they're doing. I think I think fixed point in time uh, is is fully applicable here. Okay, we're never letting you just read the script again. <laughs> Come on, man. All right. Well, I, guess I, can't, yeah. I, can't, I can't, you know. We, we can come back to this. We can I'll get you to, to make a decision, <laughs> damn it. But uh, no, I, I understand what you're saying. It's, it's yeah. tough to judge um, on a lot of levels. But um, yeah, again, I, I think maybe it's a little bit my... Having not quite, yeah, yeah I, I would say, I guess I would say, grown up like on watching Doctor Who in these omnibus versions, particularly mm-hmm. the, seeing the whole first Doctor era uh, in in one chunk, at least the surviving stuff as it was in the eighties. Um, I really love again this TARDIS team. I really, it's very personal uh, to mm-hmm. revisit it, and I, 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 I was very happy to have that feeling again of like kind of almost seen a new adventure with some of my favorite characters. I've, I've, I'd never really sat down and watched Marco Polo before uh, or even mm. listened to it. I had read the novelization years and years and years ago, um, but I did not expect to sort of have that visceral feeling of like, oh, wow, you know, like mm. it's it's the doctor, Ian, Barbara, and Susan, and, and an adventure I haven't seen. 
Like yeah. it's real. It's like that's great. I still haven't technically seen it, but I kind of felt <laughs> like I did. So um, it was it was very very good. No, but your your kids pieced out. Uh, yeah, my kids the bailed on this one. Yeah, they. I, yeah. I after the smugglers, I, I try not to make them. I'm, I'm not inclined <laughs> to make them sit through telesnap versions of things. I think it's not great on them. It sort of probably influenced me a little bit in the smugglers, even though I, I stand by my rating of that one. Mm-hmm. Um. So and also it's seven episodes, dude. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> even even a four episode or with the telesnaps would be tough. Seven, uh, nah. Not happening. So. Yeah, that's this why I'm I'm hesitant to say Dalek, right? Because I I think like do do we make our listeners feel like they have to sit through all seven episodes? Yes, I, yes, I we do. So. No, <laughs> we okay. I would all recommend right. if you do do it though, check out those uh, color uh, telesnap versions yeah. of Daily Motion. Those those are pretty good. The, the whoever did those yeah. took took some time. And uh, yeah, maybe we can th- throw some links in the show notes. That's a great idea. I will make some yeah. in the show notes. Awesome. Well, it is time to get back in our caravan mm-hmm. uh, to escape from the uh, Khan's court improbably early uh, in the proceedings. Um, everyone distracted by the duel. We're running back in. We are back at the controls of the randomizer. And the randomizer has two components, uh, neither of which are uh, on the fritz. Uh, which is lucky for us. Pete, you have the first component, the Codex. What is the Codex? The Codex is a list, a spreadsheet of every single story in Doctor Who that has been broadcast on television. And it is something that we need to introduce a random element to. Chris, what is that random element? The random element is played by random.org, a site that gives you true randomness based on atmospheric noise and the amount of snow in the uh, sand in the Gobi Desert and snow at the roof of the world uh, multiplied by the number of molecules in the atmosphere or something like that. But anyway, (laughs) something better than an algorithm, which is pseudo-random, not truly random. So we're we're giving you a true nature-based randomness here on Pull to Open, bespoke randomness. And what we do with random.org is I plug in the uh, minimum number of one and an earthly child, and the maximum number of uh, the, the number of stories that we've got left, which is, Pete, I believe I'm correct in saying 219? Yes, we have reached the 200 teens. So we're 219 wow. left. Now that we are off Marco Polo. We are getting ever closer to the magical one-third of Doctor Who completed. Mm, one-third of it wow, watched. Can you imagine? Cool. Yeah, I mean, we're probably already past the one-quarter mark, I would imagine, but not not very good at fractions. But anyway, <laughs> uh, we, we do like to challenge the randomizer, not do math. Um, and uh, so, Pete, what's your, what's your challenge? It's opposite day. Take us to the future. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. I'm I'm going to say it's opposite day for me. My oppositional defiance day. I'm going to say no. Take us further back, further into the past. I say. Whoa. Further. Hang those who talk of less. All right. Wow. Competing <laughs> challenges. It's like Marco Polo is the randomizer now that has to take our arguments and sort of try to find the middle path. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Well, give me a countdown. All right. Here we go. In four, three, two, one. Fantastic. 162. Oh, my. All right. I think that's new. It might be. It might be. Let's see. 
We are at, ah, barely knew who. It's the Unquiet Dead. <gasps> wow, we did not go further into that. That was how it Marco Poloed us. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's the past, but it's the future of the past yes. <laughs> from Marco Polo. From Marco Polo to Charles Dickens. You get it all here on Pulse of Open. You get it all here every week, and you'll come on back for the Unquiet Dead. But for now, we have to bid you all adieu. Guys, this has been Pulse of Open. It is a podcast. If you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please do. And if once you do that, if hey, why not go all the way with your podcast commitment and leave us a review or a rating in whatever app you are listening in. Follow us on social media. We're at Pull to Open on TikTok. We post lots of videos there all the time. We're also on Twitter at Pull to Open 63. Facebook at the same handle, Pull to Open 63. And Instagram, you guessed it, Pull to Open 63. We're on Spotify. And on Spotify, reminder, you can also not just rate the show on Spotify. You can give your voice. We just rated Marco Polo with our Pull to Open ratings. Now you can rate it yourself. Is it an Ogron? Is it a Dalek? Is it a Viscount Banger? Is it uh, a hashish-inspired, perhaps, fixed point in time? <laughs> that is all completely up to you and your call. Please vote in the Spotify app. Uh, and we will see you next time for The Unquiet Dead in the early news. See you. Yeah, see you in Cardiff, guys. <laughs> <laughs>